So all throughout the fall, we'll be looking at different uh, aspects and facets of what Wesley Memorial is all about. So it's a great refresher for those of you that are members of this church. And if you're, it's also a great opportunity to invite people to come and learn more about Wesley Memorial throughout the coming weeks. And today's topic, again, as I said, is we are disciple-making people of God. And we get that straight from the New Testament, where Jesus says things like this in Mark 16, 15. He told, told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we see our impetus coming from the words of Jesus himself. And uh, this past week, I was at the grocery store, and uh, I was in the maple syrup aisle. And this definitely relates. Um, maple syrup aisle, and yeah, I need to take out a mortgage. That's, I'm going to get to that. Um, so when you get in the maple syrup aisle, you, you have, kind of have two options. Um, you can pick from the Walmart brand, which is full of brown you know, food coloring and corn syrup and fructose and sucrose and whatever, and you know, $2.99 a bottle maybe. And then you, you, you kind of have a conundrum because you have, you have the cheap stuff, and then you have the organic, bougie, uh, $15 a bottle syrup. And you have a conundrum. Do I spend an extra $12 or do I die, right? <laughs> it's one or the other. And so you have a problem. Now, when you learn about what it takes to make real maple syrup, there's a reason why it's so expensive. It's because it takes gallons of the liquid from the tree to distill it down into that little bottle. And it does taste, I think it does taste pretty good. Um, so there's a process of refinement there that is very much um, valuable because it takes so long. And there's a process of refinement in our discipleship journey as Christians as well, if you will submit yourself to it. And the, the process of growth in the Christian church is, is a process of nurture, of care. And it's this, it happens in relationships. There's no other way. It is the way the church has always built itself is in discipleship communities within a church. So there's not some five-step program. There's not, you can't throw money at it. It, it. it is what it has always been, which is people, like Peter says in First Peter, that the church is living stones. It's people built on top of each other. We, we are the body of Christ, if you will. And... So it takes time, it takes intention, it takes effort to talk about discipleship. It does not happen by accident. No one can do it for you. Eugene Peterson wisely said, I am not myself by myself. And that's very true. You really don't know yourself apart from being in a relationship with other people, especially in the journey of your faith. We were, just like you were born to eventually, hopefully, be redeemed. You were born to potentially know a relationship with God. You were also born to know and be known by other people, specifically in a spiritual sense. It is in the deepest parts, an intrinsic need that all people have. And this is the big idea that you can walk away with today, is that church is meant to be experienced in, in circles, not in rows. You're meant to experience church in circles, not in rows. This past Wednesday night, we had a phenomenal volunteer appreciation experience in the dining hall. And, um, 
And at the center of each table, there were beautiful flowers, and there were pictures in the flowers of previous generations that have gone before us at this church. And uh, a lot of black and white photos and people from the 50s and 60s. And man, people dressed up for church back then, y'all. They look really good. And there was, I saw a picture of kids in a Sunday school class, and it was literally like school, like rows and pencils and paper and a chalkboard. <laughs> and for that generation, it was a revolutionary concept. Sitting in rows and teaching in this way was hugely successful in that generation. And as a child in the 1980s, that was kind of my own experience too in the church, was that sometimes I did sit at a desk, and we did do some of that. We also got on the floor and played and all that. But, you know, and in worship, I would sit in worship and play hangman or uh, tic-tac-toe with my brother, and I'd look at the back of someone's head, you know. But in the fellowship hall, you would sit in rows, you know, the church I grew up in, where they have a big Wednesday night dinner, right? Did you guys ever do this growing up? It was a big potluck kind of thing. It's an old joke, but your Jewish people have the Star of David, and, and Baptists and Methodists have the, the uh, casserole dish. That's our, that's our holy symbol. That's a horrible joke, I'm sorry. But, you know, when you go to a, fellow, a, a dinner, you're, you're sitting across from people, so it's rows, but it's good in that you're connecting and you're meeting and you're, you're having what church, a very churchy word, fellowship, which is just hanging out in community. It's not discipleship, but it's, you know, you're meeting people. And, you know, it's you're kind of connecting over a meal, and I remember one night we were having a meal. I was 10 years old, and I'm, I've told the story many years ago, but I was digging into a piece of fried chicken with a plastic fork, and I'm just getting into it, you know, and back, it's 1988. Now, ladies, you remember this. In the 80s, literally every woman had the hair helmet. You had this boof that was held up by white rain and aquanet, and it was just teased. You know what I'm talking about? It was just, it, a lot of women had it, and this lady across from me, I don't know who she was, and I'm digging into the chicken, and a piece of breast meat just catapults across the table. And I'm, you know, like it's one of those moments in life where it's slow motion, and you're just like, literally, no, there's nothing you can do. And it's, it's the, it was the, the chicken's last flight, and it was just going across, and it landed in the nest of this woman's hair. And she didn't feel it. Because it's like a buffer, and she didn't feel the chicken on her head. And she's still talking to the person next to her. And I did what any 10-year-old boy would do. I picked up my plate and I walked away. (laughs) She had no clue. You know, you have a passing conversation with a church meal or you shake a hand in the hallway or you see someone at an event or something like that, it's great. It's It's a good thing. But that's not discipleship, right? A worship service, as great as they are, that's not, that's not the church. It's a good starting place, but it's not church. Church is relationships. It's people living life together, walking with Christ together. And really, more than ever, people are hungering for real relationships. If, if any other generation has ever prized authenticity, it is this one. And the more authentic we are in our faith, the more people are attracted to it, the more winsome it is, and the more real it is as you live it out. Now, in the, in the New Testament, the word disciple, it means disciplined one, someone who is simply disciplined in the way of Jesus. And in the first century church, 
Christians back then, the word Christian wasn't even coined yet, but they were called little Christs. That the culture that knew the church, that they referred to these followers of the way as little Christs, that they were people who were simply trying to humbly be like Jesus in their actions, caring for the poor, feeding the sick, you know, doing all the things that the Roman Empire never would have, never would have done for the lowest of the low. So, in discipleship matters for our lives for a number of reasons. One is that because Jesus commanded it, as I read earlier, he commands to go and to make disciples of all the world. The world needs it, that the gates of hell will not overcome his church. And we, we also, you also need discipleship because you need accountability in your life. I need accountability in my life. You, you need people to know your, what's going on with your life and to pray for you, right? Like four pastors can't hold 2,000 people accountable, nor do I want to, nor could we. But one reason why discipleship matters as well is that because it matters because when you engage in discipleship, when you engage in a weekly Bible study or a small group or a Sunday school class or whatever, it shows clarity of purpose. It shows clarity of purpose. You need clarity of purpose. Um, one church I worked at, they did what a lot of churches do. They created their own mission and vision statement, which is great. But it's only great as far as people can actually remember it. This church created a literal wall of words, like paragraphs, bullet points, so many words. And in my scrollable mind of our world we live in, I just can't even process that. You know, mission statements are great as long as you can remember it and actually do it. And does anyone anyone know our mission statement? You want a gold star for the day? Our mission statement is to make and sustain spiritually healthy followers of Jesus Christ who live in ways that transform the world. We could probably distill that down a little bit. But still, it's a good good sentence. Because you need clarity of purpose. Organizations are healthy if they have clarity of purpose. If you forget the purpose for why you exist, organizations suffer. If you forget the clarity of purpose of why we are here, why does the church even exist? What's the purpose of it? If you forget that, the church becomes very self-serving. It turns into the world in many ways. It can turn into a country club. And I don't want a church, and you don't really either. Church is more than just social activists that like to sing hymns occasionally. It's supposed to be more than that. If you, we need a church where people are becoming more like Jesus and engaged in intentional spiritual growth. And again, no one will do it for you. It's a decision you make for yourself. You know, every denomination has had this, these issues over the years, regardless of what denomination it is, which is this. How do you determine spiritual health? Is it church membership? Is it worship attendance? Ultimately, it's about people engaged in intentional discipleship experiences in community. Did you know that our first bishop of the Methodist Church in the United States, Francis Asbury, when he traveled along the eastern seaboard, uh, they, would do, they would hold these large preaching gatherings, uh, like we're doing here, and then they had what they called societies, which were still larger groups, but they were smaller than a gathering of this size. And then that, a society was made up of what we call small groups, what they call band meetings. 
And this is crazy, but in order to be a member of a, of a society, uh, they would give you a ticket, like your membership card, like Costco or something like that. And if you missed one meeting, Francis Asbury himself would come up and take away your ticket. <laughs> That's pretty hardcore. No, I'm not advocating for that, but I am advocating for expectations. I mean, we do need expectations because it's kind of, the, of, of a conundrum. Low expectations kills churches, right? It's like, well, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? If you have high, high, high expectations, it makes people mad. Like, oh, do I really have to be in a small group? You want, me, you want to be at church every Sunday? But when we have higher expectations with our own spiritual growth, maybe we could return to the day when our worship attendance is higher than our membership numbers, right? We have 2,068 people registered as members at this church. Do you see 2,000 people here today? No. So there has to be more. Like, don't you want more from church than that, right? I do. I want more from following Jesus. I want to know what it means to grow in holiness and walk in his footsteps and walk with him side by side, really. And again, it comes back down to the Great Commission that Jesus commands us to go make disciples of all the nations. And it starts with us, for us to grow as disciples. Last Sunday afternoon, we, uh, Jeff baptized 12 individuals of all ages. And it was a beautiful experience to, to be a part of. And it was kind of funny, in the weeks leading up to it, someone emails me and they go, and they were questioning it, like, why are you doing this? Literally, they were like, why are you doing a baptism day? I have concerns about that. And yeah, I know. And, and I, my very, our gracious response was Matthew 28. This is the answer. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Obedience. And be sure of this, all, this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So according to Jesus, how do you do discipleship? Well, on a missional level, it's baptize, teach. Not just teach, but teach to obey. Teach to obey the words of Jesus. And baptize them in the name of the triune God. That baptism is the beginning of our discipleship journey. It's not the end of something. Baptism is the beginning of your journey. Because in the ancient world, if you were baptized... Uh, to somebody, it meant that you came under the allegiance of that person, that you, in a sense, you surrendered ownership to that person. You became, in a sense, that person's property. And to be baptized in the name of the triune God, it means that your supreme loyalty is no longer to your biological family or your culture, your ethnic group, even your country. It is your loyalties to the triune God as marked in your baptism. You belong to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is where your discipleship journey begins. And over the years, more than once I've been asked by people, um, or we've been asked, can, can you do a private baptism? And the answer is always no, because baptism is not a private event. Baptism is a corporate event in which you are welcomed into the community of, of God. And so it's, it's very much 
that it's speaking to, the, to say that discipleship is not an individualistic expression, but that it is lived in community with other people, with the, really the community of the baptized. This is where your baptism and your and discipleship intersect. That you are baptized into the community of those who profess the name of the triune God. So dis- discipleship is not something you do in solitude. And worshiping online and things like that or television, it's great. It's a great starting point. I'm not knocking it. I'm a huge fan of it. But ultimately, you have to come in contact with other people to grow in your faith. As, again, you're not yourself by yourself. You have to let other people speak into your life, pray for you. And you do the same for them. I'm a part of a men's group on Wednesday nights, and it's awesome. And we just talk about our lives, and we share, and we confess our sins, and we pray for each other. We read the scriptures. It's a beautiful thing. It's very simple, but it's also very powerful. It's how we learn how to be an apprentice of Jesus. And that is our goal of this church, is to help you grow as a disciple and to shepherd that. But it's kind of like a greenhouse. All I and others can do is create the conditions for growth to occur. And then hopefully you will plant yourself into that greenhouse. Because we can create the conditions for you. And we welcome you to join it. And if you will enter into that, that, that environment, the Holy Spirit will use it to transform you and change you and grow you into more like himself. And this is really important because casual Christianity is just not in the Bible. It's just not there. It's nowhere, actually. And so casual Christianity, it, it doesn't help uh, your spiritual life. You know, people like, I go to the gym, maybe you go to the gym, we take care of our physical bodies, right? We're trying to eat right. We try and uh, maybe go see a, a counselor, take care of our emotions, our, our psychological health. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, sometimes we're just sort of like, nah, I don't really know what to do about that. I'll go to church every once in a while, that seems like it's enough. It's a good starting place, but no, I think we're called to so much more. Uh, if you want to grow spiritually, other people have to know you, and you have to know them. There's an author named Kevin Watson, one of Methodism's greatest current authors, and he said this, that, that one of Meth- Methodism's greatest contributions to Christianity, it's not really we invented it, it's just we tend to highlight it, is something we call entire sanctification, that you can be completely in Um, completely and utterly saved to the uttermost. The entirety of who you are can become a holy man or woman. That salvation is not just forgiveness of sin and pardon of sin, but that it is the empowerment of the goodness of God within you to live a free and holy and faithful life. Now, not just when you die one day and you go into heaven, that we can live the entirety of a sanctified life now. And that's one of the greatest promises of the gospel, that discipleship with Jesus, it's not restrictive or meant to sap away your fun, but it's a refining process that that discipleship calls out the best in us and and calls us to glorify God with our lives and encourage others to glorify God with their lives. That it's, it's not just engineering, but it's more like art. That it's this beautiful, sort of holistic, even messy process. And that it's really, growing in discipleship is what I would call the good life. It's just living a good life. 
Who doesn't want to live a good life? You can't live a good life apart from a relationship with Jesus. You can't. You have to walk with him and know him in the depth of who you are. That's what all people are called to live and step into. And so at the end of the service today, I have a very, very high-tech process to get you connected into a discipleship group. I have my handwriting on the back of a piece of paper, and I will take your name and your email address, and we will get you connected into a group if that's what you feel called to do. Uh, And uh, we already have a group that meets after this service at 11. They meet in the dining hall. They're getting so big, I almost call them a church plant because there's, there's, like, there's so many of you. Um, so we probably need to start some new ones, but uh, I'm excited about it, and we have one that meets with that are uh, people that are young adults as well that meets in here. So if you're in that category, uh, we'll find a place for you as well. So I'm going to pray, and just, you know, as I pray, maybe God has stirred something within you about him calling you and drawing you to himself in ways you could get more uh, connected in, into discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your command, your command to call all people to be baptized in your name and to to grow in your presence. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would continually becoming, be becoming a people that are discipled in your ways, Lord. Not in the ways of the world, not in our ways, not in our ideas, but that you would continually connect us in ways, Lord, that helps us hear your voice and encourage and love one another well, as your, as your scripture says, that we are called to bear one another's burdens and to love each other, and that the, the, the world will know that we're your disciples by how we love each other. And so God, I, we, we can't love each other through a phone. We can't really love each other in any other way apart from physically being present with each other. That love is communicated through relationships. So God, reconnect us, Holy Spirit, the the amazing ways you weave our lives together in such a beautiful pattern. I pray that you weave more of us together, oh God, to make us a stronger church, a healthier church, a church that loves each other well. And we love you well. For God, you're worthy. That's an act of worship to engage in discipleship. It's It's a way that we can point others to you as we live our faith out, walking together. Thank you, God, that this is the way that you have designed it to be. God, Father, it pleases you for the church to be built of your people. So build us up for your glory. Bless these friends here and those at home. In Christ's name, amen.